Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I am Matilda Sturridge. When I was 20, I believed that you fell in love, got married and lived happily ever after. When I was 21, I was pregnant. When I was 22, I was a single parent. This is a podcast about how your expectations of parenthood are often altered by the course of your life. This is Bringing Up Us. Hello and welcome back to Bringing Up Us, the podcast. Today I have the most glorious Tara Carr sat in front of me. Tara who runs, no, Tara who is the co-founder of School of Comedy, which I was just trying to work out how I explain it. It's like an after school and a holiday club run in West London. It's unbelievable. It kind of teaches kids and gives children the freedom to be funny and to use improvisation and to be inventive. And it's a very good sort of, what's the word? I'm going to say a builder-upper, but that is confidence. Yeah, confidence. I was like, builder-upper is a club. And it's so, so, so brilliant. And you founded it with Laura Lawson. um, And there was a TV show. God, I feel like it was around nine years ago now, eight years ago. Yeah. On Channel 4 called School of Comedy. It was 10 years ago. That is crazy. Yeah. Which I used to work on and how I met Tara and Laura. Yeah. Um, And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful little little creation they have. So if you have children and you live in West London who are ages between 4 and 18 years old, then do School of Comedy. Is that good? You've also got a show. We've got a show at the Lyric this very Saturday. What's your show? For for the little ones aged uh, four to ten. And our show is called The Best Bossy Bum Bonkers Party Ever. It's on the Lyric Hammersmith this Saturday. Tara, we've just done really good at plugging your things. I'm so, I'm so, <laughs> I'm I'm so <laughs> proud of us. Um, okay, we're going to get into the podcast because... This one, I think, is going to be a really interesting one. This is all about Tara's journey into parenthood, which was, I think, pretty hardcore. Tara. Hello. 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 Thank you for coming. I'm so excited. I'm very excited to be here. Um, So we start each podcast with asking my guest, did you always want to be a parent? And if you did, do you, did you have a sort of expectation of the parent that you wanted to be? Yes, Matilda. I did always want to be a parent. Uh, literally probably since the moment I was born, wanted to be a mummy, played with dollies all the time. <laughs> it's really um, obsessed with babies, couldn't wait to have them, wanted six of them, thought I'd probably be very earth mothery. 
<laughs> Everyone I've listened to you talk to says the same, don't they? Dave? Yeah, it's so anyone true. who sort of lives their whole life waiting to be a mother, you imagine you'll be a lot sort of more natural at it. Yeah. Everyone sort of than has I that was. I'm gonna be a real earth mother <laughs> and I'm just gonna kind of waft around in my caftans and kind of you know, yeah, kiss and, and my uh, lovely clean children. I thought I'd feed them organically and I don't know, but I, yeah, it's slightly different from how I am, for sure. Really? It's I'm quite like how I thought I'd be in terms of, I'm not, um, I'm like the opposite of a Gina Ford mum. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I'd, and, and that's how I assumed I'd be. Yeah. But it's not as sort of perfect and clean as I thought it would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's really I, I don't think I've exactly met anyone who really is what their expectation was. No. Um, Tara, you met Matt when you were 28. Correct. Matt, your husband. My husband. Um, you got engaged pretty quickly. We did. We got engaged after six months and married within a year. And you sort of did this because you both you both knew that you were completely in love with each other, but you also both knew that you were desperate to have children. Yeah. We just fell madly in love. And we... In fact, I think on the second date, I said that when I saw babies, it made my ovaries twitch. And he said, that's so sweet. I'd really like to marry you. <laughs> that's <so laughs> Most sweet. men would run a mile, wouldn't they? No, it's quite sweet. That's so <laughs> sweet. Um, so you got married. We did. And you just went for it from there, didn't you? Straight you started away, straight away. Came off the pill on our honeymoon. Yeah. So exciting. Did you sort of think that you get pregnant quickly? Did you kind of go? I knew I know. had polycystic ovaries, and I knew I, I knew I didn't have them particularly badly, but I did know I, ha- I was aware that I that I needed to do it. Someone like a guy had told me in my teens not to go well into my thirties. Yeah, that I should try and have bit. And so I was only twenty nine. Yeah, so I I wasn't really worried, and no one else around me was doing it yet, so it wasn't sort of. But I was just excited. Yeah. So you were trying for... So I would say after about eight months, I mean, to be honest, after about three months, I was quite sad. Mm. I was like, why hasn't it worked? Look, I'd bought a stick, one of those ovulation sticks, and I couldn't... I thought, oh, I've seen a smiley face. That'll mean I'm pregnant. And then I kept not being pregnant. So it was a bit weird. And then... And you do just sort of become a bit all consumed once you've made the decision and you're actively trying to have a baby. How quickly did it stop being romantic and exciting and the fact that you just got married and you were trying for a baby yeah. and it was amazing and sex was exciting because it could lead to this ultimate thing that you've both been dreaming of and how quickly did sex stop being romantic being and like it that. was, I'm putting my legs in the air and I'm, I'm <laughs> it's, it's still not working and, yeah. and Matt, you have to be home in an hour because this is my window. Oh to ovulate and it was mechanical i would say i think after about eight months it was definitely on its way to being really stressful yeah and really um a bit robotic and a bit you know let's like we do it because we're making a baby and it stops being fun and then maybe after about 15 months i think i really lost the plot I felt so sad and I think I knew deep inside me there was something going on that someone wasn't explaining to me. And also 15 months is a really long time. It's a really long time. For someone who 
really wants a baby. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's a long time to yeah. wait. And other people have got married and have babies or were pregnant already. So it were your just, friends now starting yes. to kind of do and you realise that, oh, wait a minute, I've been trying this for a bit. Yeah. And, and uh, okay. And when, what do you do? I mean, when did you go, did you go to a doctor? So as I remember, I went to a doctor maybe eight months in to one fertility clinic and he sort of did all the tests. They put dye through your tubes to see whether it goes through and they look at your ovarian reserve and stuff. And he was like, "That you seem to be completely fine and Matt seems to be fine. We'll try you with IUI. And IUI is? The one where it's not IVF it's not IVF so it's nowhere near as invasive as IVF you don't have to have a general anesthetic or anything yeah they just scan you and keep an eye on when you're ovulating and then when you are they clean the sperm and they put it directly into your into your vagina cervix inside of your vagina inside of my inside of so it's okay so it still has to travel up the tubes to meet the sperm the egg no Yes, the sperm. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the egg. Yeah, that's got the sperm. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's why I wasn't working. Um, so that happens, and they kind of said, "Okay, well, let's try this. See what happens, and then we'll go from there." Yes, you um, tried that. I think we did that honestly for about six months. So you were doing that for six? It wasn't. Just I that think so. Yeah. God, I think just... I did three months with Clomid, which is the pill you can take. This pill that makes you ovulate more than one egg. Right. Which I don't even think I needed. And then I, and with the IUI. Anyway, I do remember distinctly thinking, Matt was standing in the room and there was a man, you know, a sterile room with my legs in the stirrups and there was another man inserting Matt's sperm into my vagina. Yeah. And I thought, this is so weird. Like, I'm I'm actually fairly newlywed. I've, I've only been in a relationship with him for, Hmm. 18 months at this point married for eight months or something and how I felt sad I felt like oh this isn't how it was supposed to be yeah anyway that's I mean it did Matt feel sad I think at that point yeah I think probably I think Matt for the first few years probably felt sad that I felt sad yeah Mm -hmm. and he was just brilliantly supportive and there but I, yeah, yeah, I think we probably did feel a bit sad. Well, that's an incredibly... <laughs> but, I mean, that was... Nothing. Invasive thing. Yeah, it, but that was nothing compared to, to what, what happened. Yeah. yeah, I just remember it. But, of course, as that's a moment the beginning. And also, in at that time, at that moment, it, it wasn't what you wanted. No. This wasn't no. how it was meant to be in your no. head. And, yes, although what is to come goes up and up and up, but... It, at that point you it's it was the first time when you went something's not quite right yeah and and why isn't this how I imagine my perfect yes. you know life to be yes and that is always you know a really scary point in your life when you go oh fuck but but this isn't what I had in mind yeah, yeah and, wh- yeah. and why is this but, but this is that, that's gonna be terrible because yes. this isn't what I had in mind so you had IUI you did that for six months and it's, you still weren't pregnant. Still weren't pregnant. Went to a new fertility clinic. We went to the Lister. And the doctor I had there was brilliant. And he said, I'm going to look inside. I'm going to do a hysteroscopy and actually look at your laparoscopy. So 
hysteroscopy look at the inside your uterus and a laparoscopy they look inside your tubes and everything mm. and so he did that and that's supposed to be a kind of 30 minute procedure and then be put to sleep go from there yeah just yeah. a just a 30 minute general anesthetic anyway it, it, it i didn't come up for like three and a half hours and because when he opened me up he found that i had had chlamydia that had entirely ruined both my tubes which weirdly hadn't come up on the dye test that they did but he there was so much scar tissue everywhere and everything was just a mess and quite you know it was I think quite shocking and I do remember that Matt that is the first time I've ever seen him cry because I think at this point it had probably been 18 months of all this trying to have a baby, trying to have a baby, and me continually saying there's something wrong and I don't understand why it's not happening. And, you know, constantly saying we have to have sex here and you have to put your balls in ice <laughs> and cool them down and all this kind of thing. And then suddenly it was found that it's actually never going to happen that way and that the inside of me was ruined from chlamydia, which I felt such shame and such, I mean... I felt so awful for my poor husband that he'd married this woman that was broken and it was awful. It was awful. And anyway, but the doctor said, look, the only way you're ever going to have a baby is through IVF because your tubes definitely don't work. So at least we knew yeah, there was some solace. In, God, it's so yeah. heartbreaking when you say that, but also it's so crazy that I, even me, I don't even think that I knew about it until not that long ago. And the fact that if you get chlamydia when you're young, if you don't catch it quickly, which is an STD that doesn't really have any signs or no. signs, it can completely ruin all Annihilate your tube. And just and twist and, and I don't think that's even kind of spoken about enough and why it's just so important. Yeah. That everyone just gets themselves checked out. Yeah. It's completely you know, it's really important. So important. It's a good sort of reminder that that from something that happened when you were younger. F- fucked you up, Tara. Yeah. <laughs> so when you got that news, which is obviously heartbreaking, was there also a relief in going, okay, right, we have an answer now, yes. and this now isn't the way, and and we're going to have to have exactly. And actually, through Matt's tears, what he said is, like, thank God we can do something different mm. because we've been stuck in this rut. You yeah, know, like that was driving him mad. This ridiculous like and did it did it give you a sort of new lease of great we've got we're gonna have IVF and IVF's gonna work exactly yes yeah it was like once we got over the trauma of the operation Mm. and me being a bit green then it was exciting and we were just gonna go and give it a go so we did and um first time pregnant amazing and then we lost the baby at about 13 weeks devastated do you want me to um tell you about the ivf or do you want me to yeah no no go there. <laughs> well the the only question i did have about yeah. the ivf was the drugs you're given yes with ivf did that change you yes yeah, so the so ivf is not fun i would say but i think everyone deals with it differently and th- they basically put you into 
menopause. So they sort of shut down your ovaries in order to be able to then control all your hormones. Once they're once they're controlling your hormones, it's better. But but the first few weeks where they're just shutting everything down, that's really a tough. really horrible process because it just makes you feel so miserable yeah. and, and down and a little bit suicidal. But are you given support? Do you have are you told that this is going to happen and not to be frightened? And if there's anyone you you know you do they say come and they don't have really a say that the doctors are very practical on that front but they do offer or certainly at the Lister I don't know what it's like at other clinics but they have uh, an in-house counsellor that you can go to at any point that comes with the service so you could go three times a week if you want or you go every day or you could just see her once and she and I did see her and she did explain all of that to me so it wasn't a shock so did did you feel prepared for it I didn't didn't actually how can you prepared because I don't think I saw her until I was in it but Got when it. I was in it feeling like it, then I went to see her and she sat me down and was like, this is completely normal. People in, I think, Scandinavia, the rates of IVF, like they do it once and then they do not do it again, whether they've had the fortunate luck of having a baby or not, because the stress of it's so extraordinary. You lost a baby at 13 weeks. Yeah. Did you immediately try again immediately i think i i think the doctor said you have to have one month get so you i had to bleed and then i had to have a period and then i and then i could try again i had a frozen one so i did it straight away a frozen round and i was pregnant immediately and i was so happy and then literally started bleeding pretty much immediately they were like no it's fine you're pregnant and then I kept being pregnant. And then at six weeks, I just miscarried it. And I think so then that happened. Two, three, four. So I had two more frozen rounds. And it happened again. And again. And then I had a fresh round of IVF. When so it, that's when it, four miscarriages yeah. down. <laughs> so when you're on your fourth miscarriage, is the doctor still being positive? Well, the doctor was really strangely positive and actually sort of, he always said, I think because I was quite young and I think probably a lot of people doing IVF are in their late 30s, early 40s. And because I was only, I started when I was 31 IVF. So at this point I was only 32 maybe or 31 even. And he was saying, look, you can go as many times as financially and emotionally you can cope with it because you've got eggs and you've got a womb and Matt's got sperm. I don't see why we should stop. How were you emotionally at that point? I don't think I ever gave myself a second to process any of it because I was so determined to get a baby. I heard someone talking the other day and they said, it's taken us six years to get the sibling for their child because... um, I've had two miscarriages and I thought wow that's a really long time but she said she she said it in such a way like I've had to process the feelings and I thought that's something I definitely didn't do yeah at the time because my main feeling was I have to get a baby how many people around you were getting a baby at this point at this point everyone was at it how are you coping with that well you knew me Matilda 
And I, do you know what? I think, look, sadly, and I think most people who've ever had fertility problems will say the same. Other people's joyous news of pregnancy is some of the worst bits of your own infertility journey. And it's so sad because all you want is to be happy for other people Mm -hmm. and to share in the joy. That's all anyone wants in their life, isn't it? To be, feel happy and be able to be happy for others. But when you're not getting pregnant and people around you are, and it's so easy, it just hurts so much. Did you, before we go on to talking about the next bit, did you talk to people about how, like you said, did you go to people and say, I I can't, I can't cope with this kind of stuff at the moment. and, And this is how, this is how I can cope. Yeah, well, do you know what I think I did? I would, I wouldn't tell the pregnant people that. Look, I was very nice and very um, probably over the top even because it really excites me, babies and all yeah. that kind of thing. I've got this really good friend um, who went through a similar sort of process and she said every time people told her she was pregnant, she would hand paint cards like the most over the top, <laughs> like really go overboard just to, just to, and I get it, it's like, yeah, I would be really there for people. But I would say maybe to the person who wasn't pregnant at that time, I'd be like, God, I'm sorry, I'm just really struggling being around so-and-so because, of course, they're pregnant and, and mm. I want to be kind and lovely, but it's just really hard. But then when that person would then get pregnant, they would do exactly the same. Yeah. Because they're in their own world and mm. it's fine. And actually, of course, it's fine. And I did, you know, I kept all my friends and I was there for all the babies and I loved it and it mm. was lovely. And people just do things from their own. It's fine. Mm. It was just hard. Yeah, incredibly hard. Yeah. But go number five. Go number five was was baby Zebby. And he, so he was the first baby born in the country by the um, process that I think is now called PGD again, but it was called CGH where they, basically they're so clever, they put a pinprick in the embryo on day three in the placenta of this tiny you know it's only like the size of a tiny pinprick itself tara's currently trying to show me with her fingers how (laughs) tiny it was (laughs) and they put a pinprick in the placenta and then on day five some cells have popped out the placenta and they cut them off they send them to a place in oxford that then tests if it's got matching chromosomes all, oh my god! Is it twenty three pairs? I think it's twenty three no pairs of chromosomes. So it's, it's twenty two pairs, and then it's your X and X or your X and Y, which is the gender. Whoa! Yeah, wait. I didn't. I feel like I did know something like this, but I didn't know that. That's that's oh my. So gosh. an embryo can exist outside of the womb for up to six days maximum. Yeah. So they'd done this procedure before, where they they took the cells. They send it to Oxford and then they freeze the embryo, but they'd never done it fresh. So Zebby's cells were taken from placenta on day five. He was kept out of the freezer, so he was kept fresh. And they did the cell analysis in 24 hours. And on day six, they rang me and said, you have one embryo here oh. that is perfect. Come straight in and we'll put, we'll put, we'll put it in. And in he went. And I bled all the way through, and I kept did you, thinking I was going to have a miscarriage. Did, could you enjoy your pregnancy? <laughs> I was, I was, but also, did you? Were you? Were you? We're talking. 
were you cross at the fact that this was something that you were so longing for? You were pregnant, you were going up in weeks and, and you know, going past what you'd miscarried before. Yes. Were you upset that actually you then never really got to enjoy being pregnant because you were constantly in a state of complete fear? I don't think I, I don't think I thought about it like that at that time. I think a lot of stuff like that comes afterwards because as I say, I was so focused on getting the baby. Mm. But um, I, I, I don't know, like then afterwards I've had feelings like, God, I never got to make love and make a baby in that way. And that's a thing that I will mm. never have. But then I've but got you made two healthy children. Yeah. Love. yeah, it's, it's, Making love's underrated. It's overrated. Oh, God, it's underrated. It's underrated and overrated. (laughs) But you made your baby through love, but just a different, you know, a harder kind of love. Yeah, really I mean, you you worked, you know, it wasn't easy. No. Having a shag is easy. Yeah, it is. What you went through is unbelievable love. My mother. What you and Matt went through. I don't know if this is interesting or not. Yeah, put it in. My mother and father their first ever baby was a stillborn, which is very sad and a terrible experience to go through. And consequently, she had cesareans, but back in those days, it was a general anesthetic Hmm. to get the baby out. And so she never had that experience of, that I did have with Matt, where you're there awake for the birth, even though it was a cesarean, and you get to meet your baby together. And she was just so grateful she had babies and she never thought about it. And 40 years on, she was watching a film and somebody gave birth and there was the joy of the mummy and daddy standing together having holding the baby. And she sat and sobbed in the cinema for like about two hours. Oh, no. And she said it wasn't about the baby, it was that I'd never had that experience with my husband of meeting a ch- our child together. Yeah. So it's just, it's so I guess, different things that... Things that you just think you're you're entitled to in life, and actually you're entitled to none of it. And mm. sort of like when you a friend was talking about, and they had their baby, and she had a really really long labour, and she was in such shock when the baby was born of what she'd just gone through. Yeah, that that she just wasn't processing. She wasn't. She couldn't. She was just so shocked about how hard it was. Yeah that she just couldn't, she said, I couldn't really hold the baby, look at the baby, be around the baby for for a few hours because she just couldn't, It her body her just was, you mind know, was blown. her mind yeah. was so all over the place. Yeah. And then she carried for so long this guilt of going, oh, yeah. you know, and it's hard. Like you, you have, like with parenting, you have this image and this expectation yeah. of how you think it's meant to be and it's meant to be by the book, and it's all meant to be wonderful. When it doesn't happen, you the guilt that you carry, yes, and the pain that you yeah. carry is so strong. Yeah, actually, not There's one no right person, wrong, no, and that's not one I person. Say, you know, thing. exactly. Um, you had Zebby, and he was born, and he was perfect, and just beautiful, and is perfect and beautiful. <laughs> How quickly were you like, okay? Great, I've got Zebby, but I'm absolutely, we're doing this again. I'm having another baby. We're going to have another baby. The day I got back from the hospital, three yeah. days after I had had him, I rang my doctor at the Lister and I said, I've had him. I've got him. He's absolutely amazing. I'm crazy in love. When can I do it again? And he said, "You ha- six months on the nose, I'll have you back in this room. You can start. 
and was Matt like, yeah, we're going to do another. Oh, we're yeah, gonna, we he weren't going to so, do another. Yeah. It had taken four years of hard slog and he was like, you know, let's, let's just, just go, get it done. Get it done, yeah. go quickly. Yeah. So six months after when Debbie was, you, you went back yeah. and were you going back to retake the medicine? To start, <laughs> I but were you medicine. but were you going to get pregnant at six months? Not like uh, I was going to months. start IVF, right? So I went to him to start the drugs, yeah, and get on with it. Were you kind of going got Debbie, bit of a rocky start, but have him? So maybe the next bit is going to be a little bit simpler. Well, I thought it would be simple because I thought because we'd had um, chromosomal problem miscarriages and. And because I'd bled through Zebby, and they had given me through Zebby um, steroids and um, these drips, IVIG drips that are—it's like if you've got an immunity problem where you expel pregnancies. Um, and they yes, can give you which these... is so I had—it's um, called oh god, what is it called? I know what it's called because I think I had it too, and I had to have inje- I had to have an injection. The minute that Rudy was born, if if your bloods mix, so oh, if your bloods mix, do with, no, that's different, isn't that what Orna had? I can't remember. That's a blood type. Oh uh, yes, that is a blood type. Yeah, no, this is if you've got blood cells. Rhesus negative. That's what it's yeah, called. That's, yeah, that's that's your blood type. Um, no, this is, it's it's a new thing, or well, not that new, but it's a bit controversial. Like some people really don't believe in it, and some mm. people just do it anyway. The Lister weren't particularly at this point. They might be more into it now, but they weren't that into it. But because I was bleeding with Zebby, I saw a different doctor through the Taranisi. Mm. He's much more controversial. And he put me on these steroids and IVIG drips that basically it's like a blood plasma that um, stops your immune cells. It's, it's like uh, you're allergic to foreign substances. You've got such a hyper immune system that they get a baby and they go this is a foreign object get rid of it yeah yeah. so this blood plasma is supposed to help that okay so my point is to hold zebby in i'd had him chromosomally analyzed i'd had steroids i was taking these drips i was taking clexane injections (sighs) in my tummy every day to thin the blood and all this stuff and I thought, well, we've cracked it. I know how to have a baby. I know how to I mean, keep them in. Yeah, it's not romantic. Safe, yeah. But let's just inject myself with shitloads of progesterone and everything else. And it will be okay. And and if we know chromosomally the baby's okay, there shouldn't be a, a reason to not work. Yeah. But I had all of the, those things done. And all the embryos were perfect that round, mm. weirdly. They were all chromosomally perfect. Um, I think I had to put in basically i've had 11 embryo transfers in my life so i can't remember the exact but anyway miscarried ridiculous if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I miscarried them, and there was no rhyme or reason. And I, and I had some frozen ones as well. Maybe they came first. I can't remember, but... I miscarried a lot of them and one of them didn't even make me pregnant whereas normally I was always pregnant from it. Yeah. But after Zebby, after three rounds and maybe four or five embryo transfers, I was like, this is really ridiculous. And I actually was, I was ill. Yeah. I was mentally not well and it was having a really physical effect. I was shaking. I was... I had nerve tingling. I had had so many things, and I suddenly sort of thought, "I can't keep doing this. I'm actually I've got a baby. Mm. I'm going to kill. You know, this. I'm not going to be alive if I keep doing this to myself, because it's just not healthy." So I I literally said, "I've got I've got to take a break. I I need to go and have time with Zebby and Matt, and just be together and have a nice time, and not not do IVF to my own body, basically." Mm. And then I met this amazing, amazing girl who I had gone to drama school with but not seen since I was 18. She was a dancer. And she had had four children on her on her rug at home in her living room, very good at giving birth. And she said to me, I would love to carry a baby for you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, absolutely extraordinary. It's, it really is. That's amazing. And I was like, and this was just over a cup of tea and chat. Yeah, well, things through. It was through a mutual friend. I was talking to the mutual friend, saying, "I think I don't think I can do it again." Did at any point? Sorry to stop you, but did at any point did you go? I'm not going to have more children. I'm just going to have one. Or was it now just being like, I'm not doing this again? But at no but point I'm trying did to... I say I'm I'm going to stop? But what I said was, I'm going to stop IVF. Mm. And in fact, I don't think I necessarily said I'm going to stop IVF. I said I'm going to stop for from, now. I need a break mm. because it's not it's not working and it's making me ill and it's not fair on anyone mm. in this situation. And I'm not getting the answers. 
And then over this cup of tea, this amazing sort of magical thing happened. And I had these embryos still in, in a freezer. And all I had to do was move them to a clinic that allowed a surrogate because the lister wouldn't deal with the surrogacy. So we like motorbiked <laughs> the embryos to a different clinic. And she was so lovely and we met her husband and these four children. And we had to wait a bit because she was still breastfeeding her fourth mm. baby. And was everyone happy and comfortable? How was Matt feeling? How was her husband feeling? Well, it was it was like the first meeting was a bit awkward and a bit nervy. Yeah. But actually very quickly was sweet and open and we all talked about everything. But you're on your own in England. Yeah. You're making a contract on your own it's it so it's very very tricky ground really and it was definitely based on her being an absolute socialist she believed 100% in helping another person and she had had a very easy time of making and having and birthing babies and she just she heard my story and she went I want to help I'm in a position I can help it's just amazing. And her husband was of the same mindset and they were just amazing. So it took a bit of time, you know, we had to get to know each other and have family times and all the kids played and everything. But then we went ahead with the process and lo and behold, she got pregnant the first time. It's absolutely amazing. And then I went, I mean, I poor girl, I made her have so many scans. Anyway, got to the 12 week scan and they were like, it's perfect. It's all fine. And we made it public and it was really exciting. And she was so excited and it was great. And then we went for the, we went for a 16 week scan to find out the gender. And we went to this place in Maidenhead, which was sort of halfway between our, our homes. And it, and they had like it was one of those lovely baby scanning places where they have it they have a big screen and ribbons and balloons and oh my god <laughs> it, it's quite sweet it's a sweet anyway her and her husband and four children came me Zebby and Matt went um Marie and I went into the room on our own but where they were watching was a big cinema screen so they were going to put the scan onto the screen so they were in a separate room. yeah oh my god and they were going to show us all the organs and the yeah. and the gender and we're all very excited but the poor woman put the scan on and she froze and i'd been having therapy because i had been so anxious about the whole process and everything that had happened before and i'd been taught not to catastrophize and not to um panic so i could i could see this lady her breathing changed and then and then i saw a tear and and i thought don't you know oh she's probably crying because it's surrogacy and it's such a beautiful thing between me and marie and i, and I was trying to talk myself down from catastrophizing and then she's had to say there's no heartbeat the baby's dead and it was too far gone for it to be, you know, not a, not that a miscarriage is simple, but she had to give birth to this baby because it was too past the date. It was too big. And it was a little girl and it was so shocking. I mean, it was so shocking. And we, and that's the bit 
that actually doing surrogacy in this country is just I mean, look, that is going to be traumatic wherever you are, but to have no support support, and to not know, like, it's my pain, but it was her pain and her body. And I was so... And your family, both your family's pain. for her. Yeah. And then what then happened was so awful and so dark because... So I can't remember exactly what happened. I think we were sent to A&E. So Matt and her husband took all the children off for fish and chips and Matt just said you know he's somewhere in High Wycombe having fish and chips with someone else's husband and a load of kids it's so random and you know trying to jolly on the children and eat fish and chips and I'm sat in A&E with Marie and Marie's going I I need to have another scan because I can't believe it and I was like I agree I don't believe it I don't you know just these women just not believing what's happening and they eventually sent us home and we had to whatever it was we had to go back to the hospital on the monday morning this was a saturday this and she had to take a pill and go maybe she didn't yeah she had to take a pill to go into labor so they gave her the pill and as we turned up in the hospital my mum came with us Mm. to drive us and then she sat in a room because she didn't know marie Mm. so i was like look i need you to be there for me but you can't infringe on her privacy so my mum just came and sat in a corridor. Mm. I sat with Marie. Marie started bleeding. And at the beginning, I do remember sort of saying, I'm I'm here for you and I want to support you, but I don't want to encroach in your privacy. You know, she had to have her knickers off and everything. She's sitting on a giant pad, bleeding out my dead... I mean, it's so dark. Anyway, then she says, it's coming, it's coming. And I, like, ring for a doctor or a nurse... And they come, they bring a commode. They say, you have to go to the toilet on a commode. So she's sitting on a commode and she goes, it's come out. The baby's come out. But she's stuck on the commode because it's got an umbilical cord. Anyway, by this point, all I can see is like a dead baby in a commode. And poor Marie stuck to it. And I'm calling for help. And they take ages. And then they come. But I have turned up at the hospital thinking... This is a strange day. Like, I'm going to have to watch a lady I met when I was 18 give birth to a dead baby. This is so awful. But then what ensued was she had placental... What's it called? When you um, can't get Yeah, I it. know, I know. What you, uh, it's it's stuck in. The placenta... It's dista, dista, it begins with a D. Okay. But it's I'm when not. the placenta doesn't naturally come out. Yeah. But because she was... I, I don't know. It was so dark. She kept sort of birthing these blood clots and they'd come in and go, oh, that's the placenta. And then 10 minutes later, they'd come back and say, that wasn't the placenta. And it's but incredibly I would say dangerous. It's so dangerous. And they let her go for so many hours. Lit, and she was clutching hold of me. Scr- and this is a woman who was so good at birth and had only ever done home births. And she was so stoic and incredible. And she was literally scratching my skin off in agony, giving birth to blood clots. And I kept saying, and at one point my mum begged a doctor and said, there is a woman who out of the goodness of her soul has just had to give birth to a dead baby. Help her. Like she's the mother. I honestly thought she was going to die and that I I would be responsible for the death of a mother of four children. 
and no one was helping me and no one was helping her and it was unbearable anyway listen the, the positive side is she's absolutely fine she, they did they took her finally for a general anesthetic which she'd never had in her life so she was scared yeah. and her husband was scared but they then suctioned out the placenta and but she'd lost so much blood she was then in there for like three days having blood transfusions and i mean it was such a disastrous awful her, like tired that is so beyond it's traumatic. beyond traumatic. it's actually like i i've actually never heard it in that like like that before it's i can't so like i just sweet. don't know how you come back from that well and then so after Paul thing, after she'd had her operation, she then said, and this was then also the really tricky bit about, sorry, you know, the baby bit, was they said, would you like to see the baby? Mm. And I thought, I don't think I do. Mm. And she said, I really want to see it. And mm. then I thought, well, okay, then I should see it. It's actually my <laughs> baby. I suppose I can see it. Anyway, then we saw me and her sat around and this tiny dead baby was brought in in a, like a little basket but it was like a bread basket because it was so small oh it was so awful we sat there looking at it and i thought what on earth am i doing oh, <laughs> God. Like it's, yeah. but then also like i think that if you didn't see your baby yeah no i think you're right you would have gone like right. i should have seen my baby it was right but it should it's have been just, me and matt seeing the baby yeah. it was just so weird it's just a, it's, it's i felt um because I was trying to be respectful of her all the time. Mm. That you weren't acknowledging I your felt like I was intruding something. Yeah, it was a weird feeling. Yeah. That's what it was. It was your baby, but you were But I felt, felt like, like you were protect- letting it be yeah. her baby. Yeah. Because she'd just been through all this absolute horror. D- what? <sighs> like. So that's weird. Yeah. So that. <sighs> so, yes. Look, I don't think I was very well after that for a bit. Did you have unbelievable support after or did you not allow yourself to really realize what had just happened listen unbelievable support all the way through I'm ne- I've never not had amazing support my parents Matthew all my friends incredible and were you still going but my baby's out there not- no honestly I think I was but no I I think I had maybe two weeks mm. where I said we can't that's it we we started maybe adoption process so it was never we're not going to have another baby but i did think probably i'll never do surrogacy again certainly for a bit i thought that then marie marie said i want to do it again and i was like don't be ridiculous i've nearly killed you and she said i can't bear not doing it i want i want to do it oh marie and i said i'm not using my eggs anymore that's what happened at the end of that i said i don't want to it had been, I didn't want to use my body because I thought that's why I kept miscarrying. And then I thought, this is so complicated. No one's explaining what's going on, but what seemingly is a perfectly good egg in a perfectly good womb or my womb and my, it's just not working. I want to take me out of the equation and have a baby either through adoption or through surrogacy and egg donation. But I don't want it to be biologically connected to me. Hmm. Because it, that seems to not be working. Which is another unbelievably big decision. Big decision, And yeah. did you, you know, how was Matt when you turned to Matt and be like, I, we're still going and I still want our baby. Yeah. But I now don't want to be biologically part of it. Part of it. 
Was he frightened? What was he like? I think he just kept, honestly, I don't think at any point he ever stopped me doing anything. I think he was, only until we'd had Bo, then he stopped me. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to that. Yeah. I think he was, I think he was. He wanted you to have If I had said at any point, we are so lucky to have Zebby, please, let's just be a really happy family of three. He would have said, okay. But he He, did want another child. mm. So he was happy. As long as I was pushing it forward. Yeah. So Marie cannot carry, can't be the surrogate of, in England, she can't be the surrogate of a, baby that isn't biologically yours you have to it's, it's not legal no, in england she no no no, no. Or she can she can she could be you either get traditional surrogacy or i can't remember what the other one's called but anyway yeah the thing the other one is the one where it's my egg and her body yeah traditional surrogacy is that you get a turkey baster right with matt sperm and you pop it up when she's ovulating so she's actually so the she's egg donor the bu- and the surrogate i see yeah so we were going to try that, and I actually we did try that a few times, but um, that was fun. I yeah. used to some. It's <laughs> disgusting. I used to get Matt's sperm <laughs> in a pot. You bought these sterile pot. You can buy it all online, and then because Matt did so much wanking, <laughs> he did, he's an international wanker because yeah. then he had to go to America. <laughs> but he, um, we wanted the sperm to be as fresh as possible, and we lived fifty minutes apart. And the middle ground was Beaconsfield Services. So I used to turn up. Matt would do his wank. I'd take... In Beaconsfield No, he'd do okay, his wank at home. Say. Yeah, that's a bit too much to ask. Really? Yeah. Just, <laughs> just give, me, give me a minute. Get me a mac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would then drive the sperm to Beaconsfield Services, meet Marie, and she would go into the toilets. <laughs> I'd take her little baby. Oh, my God. And, like, take her for a little cake. <laughs> But what? And then she put her legs in the air and yeah, hope for the, the best. Toilets. Well, you it you you know I'd give her the like sperm a and like a pipette, yeah, and she'd go like inserting and... a tampon. Yeah, my God, Tara. I know. So you tried this a few times, <laughs> and funnily enough, it didn't work. Weird. Maybe it was so the weird. I think it was the pipette because <laughs> you said you were using a turkey baster, and I'm pretty sure that shouldn't have been. Used. <laughs> Okay. Is any of this right? This no. is. Oh my god! So you're still. I just no. I just think this is one of the most important stories. And you're still going. And now you realise that okay, the turkey baster isn't going to work. So we're going to America. Going to America. I met these guys, and they've got this agency in um, Chicago, and I met the guy who runs it from England. A guy called Brett. Married to a guy called Matt, which is funny because that's my brother and my husband. So Lovely nice. chaps. And they had this beautiful son called Sebastian through surrogacy. And he took me through the whole process. And I was it. I was sold because then basically in America, it's just a different story because it's legalized. Yeah. So obviously you are still going through all the absolute same emotions. But it is taken care all the kind of practical side mm. and the hospital side and all of the kind of actually to take care of they take care of the surrogate Mm. and you can have an emotional relationship with her and we went and met ours we had this amazing lady called chris in utah and we went to utah for the 20-week scan and we 
went obviously for the birth and everything. We spent quite a lot of time with her. And I think you can choose to have as much of a relationship as you wish to have. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that involved. Yeah. But we're probably a bit more comfortable doing it like that. But, um, you know, the time she didn't get pregnant, I didn't have to be so involved. And and I didn't. So it, it was just handled. And, and did you pick your egg? In America. Oh yes, yeah. so the egg donor is brilliant. That's like a, you get a, you just go on all these web American websites. It's not like England, and you it's like a dating app. And were you okay? Did you find this kind of? Was there any point where you sort of went, oh, I feel a bit wobbly about this, or was there a point where Matt went, I feel a bit wobbly about this? I felt really wobbly about the egg donation thing quite a lot when we were first looking. I. And I remember sincerely sort of going, God, I've, you know, you spend your life or hopefully not our daughter's generation, but Mm. I spent my life not loving what I saw in the mirror. Mm. And now I'm looking at all these sort of very beautiful egg donors and thinking, but they're not me. And that's Mm. such a weird feeling. Like, why wouldn't, why do you want it to be you when you've not necessarily loved yourself? Or it's so, it's so weird, such a mind game. Yeah. Yeah. That we do so intrinsically want to procreate our own. Mm. Anyway, so I did find it hard at the beginning and Matt found it quite hard and we spent a few hours and I found it a bit depressing. And then I said to Matt, do you know what? You choose, you choose, you choose an appropriate egg donor, the one that most looks like me or most feels right for our family. And that's what he did. He got it down to three. And then we were with his mum, my mum and me. And he showed us the three and all of us were, well, I didn't so much, but the two mums went, oh, it's that one. Yeah. Immediately, it's that one. And she's this beautiful doctor in America with curly hair like mine and a big white teethy smile like mine. And she's actually uh, mixed race, Cuban, Jamaican. And so she's got very olivey skin like mine. And it seemed absolutely right. And that was that. Anyway, I say all of that felt so important then and none of it feels important now. Mm -hmm. And that's how it goes, isn't it? Absolutely. So your surrogate in America had then this egg and Matt's sperm put inside of her. Yeah. And she got pregnant. Yeah, the second time. Second time. So we had the same process as we'd had with Zebby with the chromosomes because they just do that in America. Yeah. So we had, and, and also they tell you the gender. Mm. that's yes. not illegal either yeah not that we chose but they just tell you yeah so out of all these amazing eggs this girl got we only had three embryos that were chromosomally fine and he said right you've got girl girl boy and i would use them in that order that's how they look they're all perfect but this girl looks the best this girl looks second best this boy looks third best so the first girl didn't work then Bo did work and we had Bo, and then you know we had this you had Bo, let's before Sorry, we get to that you okay, had yeah, yeah. We had you had Bo, yeah, which was kind of this extraordinary, extraordinary thing of of. I remember we all had drinks the night before you let. No, maybe no, because you went to labour early. No, you know what I was thinking about having the drinks the night before we went to labour with Zebby when you had Zebby. But Bo, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy because we were waiting for this baby. Yeah, that we weren't seeing. We it wasn't yeah. like we saw you with a bump or we saw someone else. No, with a bump. this growing baby was, in, was utah. in utah and you and matt had your date where you were going to go out she went into labor early yeah so if i am correct you then got the phone call 
you and Sebi and your mum all got on an airplane yeah. straight away to catch the birth, to catch Bo. <laughs> um, Matt came a day later and you got there and you arrived in time and you witnessed your amazing daughter being born. Yeah. I got to the hospital 41 minutes before she came out. In the end, that's meant to be. Because she was waiting for me. She was waiting for her mummy. She's so She's so nice. She's really nice. Um, And you had Bo. Yeah. And with this anticipation, and obviously I think you're like, you sort of touched upon your worry of what it would feel like having your baby this way. And, Mm. you know, I can imagine if you fear the connection and she was amazing and she wanted you immediately. She did. Which she is did. kind she, of... I held her. I mean, I she went on my chest straight away. But after half an hour, I went and put her on Chris. And, and, I, and I was like, look what you've done. She's so perfect. You're so amazing. And then I went to speak to the doctor and Chris said, oh my God, look, as soon as I moved my voice to talk to the doctor, the baby followed my voice. Mm. Oh, she really liked me. She really liked I you. know. And I really liked her and it was so sweet. And Matt came out the next day. He came, he actually came like three days later. Yeah. Because you have to be in hospital in America three days. Yeah. So I had my room with Bo and Chris was in the room next door. Yeah. And we'd go in and out of each other's room. And it was all very sweet. And then they wheelchaired me out of the <laughs> hospital and I kept saying, I haven't given birth. <laughs> and they were like, it's protocol. <laughs> Talk to me about <laughs> Matt meeting Bo. Oh, so then you took where we were staying. We had a house, but it wasn't ready yet because we had to be there for about a month. So we were in the Best Western late in Utah. That was Bo's first home. Sounds beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> and um, my mum, Zebby and I had a room and Bo and Matt was arriving. But that we only had one room is the point because it was packed for some kind of conference. Yeah. So... We had this big double bed that we all slept in and then my mum had a mattress on the floor and Zebby just fell asleep and Matt text saying, I'm pulling into the hotel now in the taxi. And my mum said, go outside into the corridor so you can have your moment with Matt of introducing him to Bo. And I and I hadn't cried yet in that sort of happy, over-emotional baby way. I'd sort of been keeping it all together and, and I actually thought, oh my God, I'm about to go and present Matthew, his daughter. Like, this is so over-emotional. And he got to the corridor and he looked at her and he looked, you know, sort of impressed, took the baby in his arms and then he locked eyes with me and he said, we are done now. Please promise me this is it. We can't have any more. And I was like, oh, stop ruining it. <laughs> what I find is just so heartbreaking about that is that his strength that he's carried yeah. you through these yeah. two babies which <laughs> were just so hard to get and then there she was and he went i can't go yeah. on like yeah. now telling you like we're done like, yeah no, no more now perfect. no more yeah enough what's that yeah. film enough now enough. <laughs> what is that film i don't know oh, god damn it but i really <laughs> like it enough now <laughs> enough um and before we we wrap up the podcast which I've only learned a few days ago, is that your third embryo, the boy, um, uh, you then obviously from going enough now, enough. Yes. Um, you did something, is it right, you called adopt the, em- someone yeah, called adopt- embryo adoption. 
So your third embryo went to someone else. Yes. Who so he could baby. either he it hasn't worked, but I don't like to think that. Yeah. He's he's in the world and he's made another family a happy family. Which is such Isn't that nice a beautiful way to round up yeah. I think your story. Tara, I think it is so unbelievable what you've gone through and to to know you and to have witnessed it all. But you know, it was a process of years and years, but to hear it all in just an hour it's kind of your bravery and your complete knowledge in knowing that you were going to get your family no matter how they came to you you were going to find them and get them and you did yeah and you now have these two incredible children who were so loved and now very naughty aren't they yeah (laughs) really naughty obnoxious and i just think you're just amazing what you've gone through and are going through and I know that it's probably a process that you know takes a while to kind of sink in thanks mama thanks for having me oh wait I need to ask the last oh, question sorry. to round it up mm. what is the one bit of advice that you will give that you would have given your non-parenting self so before you became a parent if you knew yourself then what would you say to that person oh, god I never by the way I know I guess. answer that <laughs> right just can't do it just literally not one podcast has that gone smoothly but I love the fact that everyone now knows it doesn't yeah. go smoothly. I don't know the answer to it either Matilda you don't need to have an answer I think okay maybe what I would say is like don't ever read a book mm. don't ever read a book and have any expectation of what they should be doing or mm. could be doing or just let them be I agree. I think is that a fair thing? I think that's unbelievable, lovely advice, and completely true. Like Emma Freud said, just muddle through. Yeah. Let them sleep when they want to sleep. Mm -hmm. Just let them do what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Don't put yourself under pressure. No. Or Tara. And also that they come out who they are. Yes, we were talking about. Yeah. Who was I talking about? I think we were talking about it. Just how they come out. Just a complete individual. Yeah. And that always takes you by surprise. Yeah. Because you think they're going to come out exactly exactly how, how you, you are, are and how you yeah. feel, and you're like, like oh, this is a bit unrecognizable. No What's way. Going on? Yeah. They're, they they're different. They come. They're a different person to me. Um, I really hope that this is insightful and this helps people who are going through what you've gone through and fertility issues and it's. It's such a miracle to be pregnant. It really is. And it is amazing hearing people's stories of how they came to be parents. I know. And how we, you know, like I've always said, you know, how we always put pressure on ourselves, but how it all works out for the best. Thank you so much, Tara Carr. Thanks, Mama, Mama Tilda. I love you. I love you too. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Bringing Up Us. And see you next week.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 